Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 107 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am currently in the Red River Gorge where the weather has taken a turn for the better. Thank goodness. Um, I've been in this half of the country for a couple of weeks and have only gotten two climbing days in, but it looks like smooth sailing from here. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, also, in a few weeks, Nate and I will be traveling to Houston, Nate coming home to Houston, uh, for the Bayou City Classic at Momentum Silver Street. Uh, it hasn't been announced on their website yet because we're just finalizing details, but after the comp, Nate and I will be doing a group bouldering session and our applied body tension workshop, and we'll also be opening up slots for private sessions soon as well. So watch our social medias, watch Momentum social medias. You'll you'll see those things advertised pretty quickly, I would imagine. Um, also, if you haven't checked them out yet, don't forget about the core strength and the movement skills ebooks and the new circuit tape. All those things are available on the website, powercompanyclimbing.com. Go check them out. Uh, if you aren't familiar with today's guest, Dr. Jared Vaggy, then I suggest you go back and listen to episode 88, which is part one in this series in which we dig into his rock rehab pyramid. Um, this episode is part two and three, and we sat down together at CWA, the Climbing Wall Summit, um, which if you're involved in the training and coaching for climbing world, honestly, you should be considering attending. Or if you're a gym owner, shaper, setter, anything else related to indoors, go. Um, let me get back on topic here. This conversation was in person. Uh, the previous one was done remotely, my only full-length remote episode, and I definitely enjoyed this one much more. Um, you guys can be the judge of that. If you think I should be doing more remote interviews, shoot me a message. Let me know. Uh, and if you haven't bought the book already, Climb Injury Free, it's available, and you should do that. There's a link right there in the show notes on your pocket supercomputer. And uh, let's get into this. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. If you can find patterns that you use, that you tend to overuse, and you can identify those, then you have a really good chance of preventing those injuries from happening if you can stop them before they start. CWA has been a little bit crazy, I think, for everybody. Were you up till midnight the other night with everyone else? I was in bed at midnight. Okay. <laughs> so I was up till midnight. It was it was no good. Was was this out drinking and yeah, having fun this is or? like just hanging out down in the 
down in the showroom drinking with everybody. See, everybody I, was there still. I have to be cooler and more social like you are. <laughs> I'm like back it's, checking emails at 9.30 It's hard, PM. man. It's hard. I, I need to break away from it. I need to do the emails at 9.30 p.m. Yeah, right. We can trade places. Okay, well, yeah. Tonight, tonight I'm, I'll have a beer. Relax. All right. Kick back and do an episode. Cool. So this is part two, maybe part three. We'll, we'll kind of see how it goes. We're just going to kind of freestyle, but... Um, why don't you kind of tell everybody about about you a little more about who you are, what your background is, what your story is, how you got here? Okay, yeah, and you know I've told this story a few times, and I I think it's important for for people to know the reason that I'm I'm getting into climbing and preventing injuries. Yeah, but I ran track in in college, and I tore my hamstring muscles. What'd six, you do in track? Hundred meter, two hundred meter. You were a sprinter, yeah. really. I was a sprinter. Awesome. I was a big fish in a small pond up in uh, <laughs> Portland, Oregon. Where, okay. And then, uh, then I came down. I ran at UC Davis. There's a there's a big running community in Portland, though, right? Yeah, huge running community for distance runners. Yeah. Uh, for sprinters, gotcha. I was one yep. of the better sprinters in the state, but partly because there weren't so there many. There weren't any sprinters. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was okay. good enough to get me into college. <laughs> and so, awesome. but um, yeah. So I went. It was at UC Davis in Northern California. I ran track, and. I tore my hamstring like six or seven times and I was just devastated. So I had to quit my sophomore year and there was a rock wall on campus and I just got hooked on climbing as really a mental rehab. Hmm. Just it would like just something athletic to do. Yeah, or? just something to move my body where I wasn't afraid that if I hit it, because I think climbing was so slow and methodical. Sure that I wasn't afraid I'd hit this top speed and re-injure my leg. Yep. And so it was just something I could uh, appreciate body movement, still stay fit, um, but not have to worry about tearing my hamstring. Right. So I got psyched on it and I started there and I was climbing just indoors and started going outdoors, then started climbing sport, then trad, then big walls and big wall solo. And then eventually I just quit my job and <laughs> pursued my, my lifelong dirtbag dream yeah. that ended up lasting only six months because I got a fellowship position. I think that's plenty. Yes. <laughs> I want to go back to that. I, I don't think I can ever go back to that stage, but you can't go back to it quite like that. Now that you're a doctor and <laughs> yeah. making money, I, I was watching like my bank account, like slowly dwindle as I'm like <laughs> sleeping on the couch and yeah, man. <laughs> just doing what I had to do. But, but, but anyway, in that whole process, I, I remember this was a pretty vivid moment. Um, I live in Los Angeles. I was living in Los Angeles. I was going to graduate school at, at USC. So I was getting mm -hmm. my doctorate in physical therapy. And at that stage, I was you know kind of newer into climbing. And there was this route called Course and Buggy in oh, yeah, Joshua yeah. Tree. Dihedral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I've climbed it. And there's, uh, you know, I looked, I really wanted to do this route. And I was a little bit nervous because the pro's a bit thin. Yeah. And so I, I go up, I stem up this dihedral. I'm getting a little bit of that Elvis legs. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not really placing that much pro because I'm trying to get through it. And I get to the exit move. And the context before this, I literally, I had climbed six days straight. And of I, was, course. I was living with my grandma at the time in grad school to, to save some money. And she had this old house and the door frames had like the, you know, the molded door frames yep. on top. And I didn't have a hangboard. So I was like, literally, I was hanging from my fingers doing pull-ups on these door frames mm -hmm. like every night, not resting. And anyway, I was on this route. I 
pulled really hard and on the exit move in one moment tore my rotator cuff and sprained mm. a ligament in my finger. So both at the same time, both at the same time. <laughs> I was like, and it's kind of that kind of clicked. I mean, I finished the route. I was psyched on it. Um, but, uh, but it kind of clicked and at that time I was getting my doctor in physical therapy. So I definitely should have know about known about that. Right. Uh, as I was rehabbing, I started realizing I should start developing rehab programs and almost started mapping out different body movements and how they relate to injuries for climbers. Yeah. And I did that for myself. And then I eventually started putting out a magazine. So in dead point magazine yep. and, and climbing magazine and, and started working with a lot of climbers. Once I you know, graduated, got my, my degree and I went to a residency program and then a fellowship program where I specialize in movement science. And so it was like a nine-year process, basically. To yeah, to how does it. movement science look? Is it is it sport-based? Is it just human movement? It's it's like human kinetics. It's what human is human it? movement-based? And so basically, what this fellowship was, it it was a year-long program, and it's uh, every weekend you have these didactic courses on biomechanics and so forth. Yeah. And the first six months, you're, you're seeing patients and you're being mentored by these movement specialists. My main mentor is Claire Frank, and she's world known for, for movement. And you can't touch your patient for the first six months. Oh, really? Which is, if you think in like a clinical field, like in physical therapy, you literally, you cannot touch your patient. And this was part of the fellowship. And so what that really trains you to do is you hone in on visualization, you hone in on abnormal movement patterns, and you can't use right. the tools that are already sharp in your toolbox. You have to sharpen others. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. So that was that process. And I had gone through this, this movement science process and it wasn't sports specific, like right. we're, we're thinking, but it's just analyzing just the nuances of human movement. Yep. And then I started taking that and applying it to climbing. And I'm actually, I, I went back and I started teaching at USC. So I'm a professor there now. And I started then kind of merging a lot of what I'm doing into saying, okay, how can I take this expertise and apply it to rock climbing, which at that time when I was going through this, there wasn't a ton out there, right. or at least if it was out there, it was harder to find. Yep. And now there's so much and yeah. you can find, find everything. And, and now my big, it's almost like a change or a shift. My whole change now is trying to systemize everything. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, because I do, and I'm just curious what you feel like, do you ever feel like you're contributing to the mass of information that's impossible to sift through out there? Yeah. I mean, I, I look, you look up injury prevention climbing yeah. and there's stuff that I wrote like five, six years ago right. that I look back at now. I'm like, I mean, it was fine, but yeah. uh, I would probably advance that or edit that or change that. I was just thinking about that last night, like random moment down in the hall. I was like, oh man, I should go back and change those like five by five strength protocols <laughs> that I was recommending five years ago. Yeah. What, yeah. Are, what are your other, like, what are your other regrets <laughs> yeah. of stuff that you've oh, contributed? Man. Oh man. I can't even tell you. There's a lot of them. There's a lot. Yeah. Of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably in the same boat and it's, I mean, it's fine that way because we dictate what we do, at least I do, is, is through experience and then through research. And then we make a, a, a opinion based on that. Mm -hmm. And it's over. It's always changing. Yeah, totally. So, and should be. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I, this whole push has been to try and create systems for, for specifically preventing injuries. Because mm -hmm. you ask any climber now, okay, do you train? And some will train, some won't. The ones that right. raise their hand that train... They train with the plan. They train with the system. They don't right. just go in the gym and just 
you know, randomly hangboard however they feel, or they don't pick up a weight and say, oh, I feel like doing, you know, 10 movements today. And last mm-hmm. time I did four, whatever it is. Yep. Um, so my whole goal is to then say, can we make this whole system then apply it to preventing injuries? And then anytime you have a system, it's more likely that you do it. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be, let's hope we don't get injured. You know, I, you're not going to go into the gym and just hope you get stronger. You're going in there planning to get stronger. You know? Yeah, definitely. And it's even better if you understand your body and you can determine the likelihood of getting certain injuries and then preemptively say, oh, because of how I move, I'm more likely to get inside elbow pain. Well, let me just do these exercises to right. prevent this inside elbow pain. And there's, I see a lot of climbers and some of them actually that I see now, and it's becoming more and more, they have no injuries. They're mm-hmm. just coming in to say, I want a body <laughs> blueprint. Can That's you tell cool. me, yeah, can you tell me how I can get stronger without getting hurt? And can you tell me what I'm predisposed for? And those are actually a lot of fun. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just like sign all of my people up for that <laughs> through you? Do you have time for that? Availability <laughs> now is the issue. <laughs> Usually my summers are the time I can actually start accepting new clients. And then this summer it's just slammed. So. Oh, damn it. But. I was just about to book your July. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so yeah, talking about systems. And this is the, the second episode that we're doing is the first one we talked about mobility. Mobility. Yeah. And. I guess the background, if no one heard the first episode, I'll, I'll kind of briefly describe the... I think we'll just send them there. I mean, oh, yeah. it's out there. Better. And that'll, that'll just go there. Hits. If you yeah, haven't, go, go listen to the first episode. Yeah, if you the, haven't heard it, go do it. I was going to do a 30-minute recap of what you talked and about. And actually, you know, we in our first conversation, you asked me if I'd ever had a finger injury, and I said no. And then like two days later, I got my first real finger injury. Oh, no. Um. So, so now it's healed, and I'm... You know, it's probably 99% or something. Yeah. There's a tiny bit of pain, not pain. There's a tiny bit of, I can feel it when I squeeze it now, but I don't feel it at all when I'm climbing. It's, uh, only, load, it's only on touch at this point. Let's load test it after the episode. Yeah, let's do it. And yeah, I've got the devices here. So. Let's do it. Cool. Um, okay, yeah. So uh, we'll talk, we talked about mobility. And we talked about the Rock Rehab Pyramid, which is basically my yep. my attempt in to, to systemize rock climbing injury prevention and rehabilitation and really how it starts is you have some type of injury Um, you have this pain this inflammation this tissue overload that's the bottom part of the pyramid yep the next part is you lose your range of motion or your mobility that's the next level then you lose your strength that's the next level and then you discoordinate your movement so we're going to talk about the strength part of the pyramid and yeah. potentially if we have time, the, the movement section. Yeah. And if we don't have time today, we'll, we'll do it the next time I see you. Yeah. Sounds good. So, so where do you start with strengthening? And this is post-injury we're talking about. And for me, that was terrifying. Like I, I woke up the next morning after this finger injury and thought, I'm fucked. I can't, Mm. I'll never climb again. You know, I was immediately panicking and I called my friend Carrie and was like, we have to have a consultation. I need to know what's going on with my finger. And she started me pretty quickly on a very, very light, uh, exercise program with the finger. Um, what's your protocol? How do you know where the hell to start? Yeah. I mean, we can't just jump on a hangboard and 
see what happens. Yeah, there's a couple things you have to keep in mind. And one thing is everything's on a case-by-case basis, right? Sure. And that's the it depends answer, yep, which is, totally. I mean, it's seemingly my favorite answer. Yeah. So you're like, that's kind of a cop out. Um, but you know, it depends. But the first thing you have to think about is one stages of healing. So you have to bear in mind that your first 14 days of any type of injury is an inflammatory process. Mm-hmm. So that's an acute stage. Mm-hmm. Then up to three months is your subacute stage. Okay. And then three months on is your, your chronic stage of any time that you have an injury. And you know, we think about this pyramid we talked about, this pain, inflammation, tissue overload. Mm-hmm. That's typically going to be your first two weeks. Right. Some people, they keep re-aggravating it. Sure. So they're in this constant cycle. Um, but what do you do to, to re- rehabilitate for that? Well, that's probably a whole nother episode and a whole nother discussion is, okay, do you prevent inflammation or do you not? Do you unload the tissues? Right, right, do you right, not? right. And those are all those debates. But once you get past that and you're moving on is really you need to regain your range of motion. Right. And so typically for finger injuries, you need to regain your motion first in the positions that you're going to climb in, which mm-hmm. are typically going to be, you know, open hand and crimp positions. Yep. But then your entire range of motion of fully going into Being almost able like to a... touch the pads down. To yeah, the, touch the yeah. pads into that claw position. Yep. And... I rarely initiate strength unless someone's gone through two weeks of just pure range of motion exercises. Gotcha. Question for you really quickly. And I just don't, I don't experience swelling after an injury. Mm. It just doesn't happen to me. Yeah. You know, when I have my wisdom teeth pulled, I didn't swell at all. When I've gotten injured, I don't swell at all. The finger felt like early in the morning when I woke up the next day, I couldn't move it. But by an hour later, I seemed to have full range of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there an actual, I mean, is that a true thing or am I just imagining that, that I don't swell after an injury? Well, yeah, everyone has different <clears throat> responses. So the easiest way to think about it, fingers are a little tricky because they're harder to see sure. swelling, right? And you can have uh, interdigital swelling, you can have swelling in the joints or, or so forth yep. that, that don't really um, come too much. But the easiest thing to think about, two people roll their ankle. Uh huh. One giant balloon. Right. The other, not too much swelling. Yeah, mine doesn't swell. <laughs> the third one, discoloration. The same amount of ligament injury in all three of them. Right. So you can maybe theorize, well, that may be a good thing or may potentially be not so good. Right, right. The, the good thing, well, you probably are going to be able to skip that range of motion step quicker mm-hmm. than most people because swelling is going to limit your finger range. Right. The not so good thing, well, Swelling is sending inflammatory mediators to heal. Right. So potentially the long-term healing process may be blunted, but you get to climb quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a win. Yeah, that's a win. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so for example, once you can regain that range of motion and, and yep. you know, spending at least two weeks doing those exercises is then you enter in the strength phase, but I don't start people with finger flexor strengthening. Mm-hmm. until at least eight to 12 weeks. Okay. And finger flexor strengthening, or for those listening, is, is basically anything that involves, you know, flexing your fingers into a, into right. a grip right. under a significant enough load to generate pain. Right. But finger extensor strengthening, you can start that pretty quickly okay. after your injury. And so those are the antagonist muscles that mm-hmm. antagonize are gripping. And if you look at an ultrasound or you look at like a real-time ultrasound on when someone's gripping, our finger and wrist extensors co-contract anytime that we grip. 
So the more stable and the stronger they are, actually the better your grip is gonna be. Right. So that's why when we crimp, our wrist cocks back about 30 degrees. Part mm -hmm. of it's the orientation of the hold. Yep. But when they've done research on this, people self-selected grips. The strongest grips is when the wrist is cocked back about 35 degrees. And the fingers, if you look at that orientation as well, um, as you flex forward, that puts some that puts some tension then on the on the tendons in the back too. Right. So so anyway, so with strengthening, you can go to town with starting to do those antagonistic strengthening exercises with the rubber band. Okay. But I find that people dose those and do them incorrectly more than they do them correctly. Okay. And so I, I find that I mean they're usually okay, they're doing something. But I, it's almost now my new pet peeve is, but it used to be like static stretching five minutes before someone got on a route, right. like stretching their finger backwards was yep. like all the fad, like seven yep. years ago. And I'd like walk around the climbing gym wanting to like slap people. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but now I see people like using these resistance bands. I'm like, oh, it's probably not the right way to do it. Um, or not the most optimal way to do it. Okay. Um, so, and so when we talk about strengthening, maybe how you do it is pretty important, not necessarily what you do. How do you suggest you doing do. it? Okay, so most people take the resistant band and we're talking about like uh, you go to the grocery store, you find some broccoli. Like on the broccoli, yeah. Yeah, you, you buy the broccoli. Yeah, and you, eat the broccoli. You eat the broccoli and you <laughs> take the band. You don't steal it from the store. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then they take that rubber band, they put it around their fingertips and they just hold it almost like in a pinch position. Right, right. And so I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's good. You're training your finger extensors to stabilize your fingers while you're in a pinch. Right. And that's good if your entire climb that you're doing is like a pinch marathon. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're crimping or using open hand or any of those varietal grips, you may not be doing the most effective thing for that. So that's one, one of my pet peeves is... I wouldn't say a pet peeve, but it's like they're on the right track, but it just needs to be a little bit better because okay. if they can diversify into doing it while in a crimp position. Okay, so we need to somehow... So a band probably wouldn't work. You probably need something that hooks onto your fingers well, at this the, point. The coolest way to do this actually, one thing is a single band is easy because you okay. go into like a half crimp position yep. and you take a single band, you put it around the distal or the end tip of your finger and you pull down and you just hold that isometrically. And so the band's pulling down towards your palm and you're oh, just God, yeah. lifting your fingers without moving them up away from the band. Are you doing just one finger at a time? This one Does that is work one, better? So this is where it took me a while to figure this one out. <clears throat> I used to try it with all fingers right? and your fingers like bunch up right? and they bunch and you're yep. like, this sucks. You like get I'm, in like bird beak position. Yeah, there to, you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you get bird beak. Oh, I like that. I'm, can I use that? Totally. I'll quote you. That's what it's I'll called. Say, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so you get in this bird beak uh, position um, and it's just, is not, it's suboptimal. You shouldn't do that that way. Yeah. And so one way to do it is you take a single band you put about one finger and you pull down but another way that i that i developed which is really cool is you take a carabiner and you girth hitch oh, three yeah, yeah. bands to yep. the carabiner mm -hmm. and the carabiners are really cool because they taper off as mm -hmm. they get lower and so do our fingers right and so you hook three bands girth hitch them around the carabiner go into a half crimp position pull the carabiner down towards your palm right and then now you've got it and you can even take a sling tie it to the carabiner, loop it around your elbow. Now you can walk around town in a half print position, <laughs> <laughs> just rocking it out and strengthening your finger extensors. This is why you didn't hang out in the hall until midnight. This is why I did not <laughs> hang out in the hall. Got some cool party tricks though. <laughs> no, totally. I, I think that's a great, 
you know, refinement to something that we all try and do as a preventative measure, as a strengthening measure. Yeah. And even though, like, think about that, it's your half crimp will just go into an open hand and you can do a similar thing. You just have to change the angle of pull to Mm -hmm. not be directly down just to be a little bit more outwards. Yep. So, so those are, that's one of my pet peeves with, and I'm not even going to call it strengthening exercise. I'm going to call it a muscle performance exercise okay. for the, for the finger extensors. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the, I guess, uh, I'll just a quick tangent. So in my book, as we go through this rock rehab pyramid, there's your pain, your tissue overload and your inflammation is this one level. You have your mobility, the next one. And then the third one is strength. I actually wanted to call it muscle performance and motor coordination. Right. It just was didn't fit in the box and was too word jumbly. <laughs> and so it's called strength. So please forgive me uh, on that. <laughs> but um, no one's called me on that yet, which is... I think I think you have to dumb it down. And, and dumb it down is not the right word, but that's the common word. Like a ha- yeah. you have to make it easily digestible. Yeah, or choose words that fit in the margins of a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> if strength was at the, if that was at the bottom, we would have been fine. Yeah, but totally. we would have to reinvent that pyramid. <laughs> but um, so anyway, so we, so uh, in this position, that's one of my semi pet peeves. Uh, the other one is the duration of hold. Okay. So if you think about it, so Chris, this is interesting. I, I like asking climbers this. So if you're on a boulder problem, how long do you think you typically will, will be on a hold? Most people say around seven seconds, but okay. you know, really depends. Right, it depends. That's the answer. Oh, it depends. Good cop out. <laughs> <laughs> and most people, you don't even, you don't even qualify as yourself. Other people say seven seconds. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> All right. Um, sport climbing. <clears throat> how long? Oh, longer for sure. If you're me, more like 15 to 20 seconds okay. per hold. All right. And then if you're track climbing. Oh, gosh. If you're track climbing, you don't even grab holds. You, <laughs> you ignore the holds and you hand jam yeah. all the time. No, we're not talking Indian Creek track. <laughs> we're talking we're talking a sport climber trying to track climb. Generally longer. Yeah. So yeah. if you take this in context, then you think about it. All right. Are, if you're going to train a boulder problem, mm-hmm. and I, I say bouldering is maybe your, your five, six seconds or whatever we say, but mm-hmm. let's say you're bouldering, let's just say seven seconds. So then you're going to want to hold your injury prevention exercise for the same duration of the modality of climbing that you're doing. So you're going to okay. want to hold that crimp position with the resistance band for your seven seconds or however long for, gotcha. for bouldering. If you're sport climbing and you're like, oh man, I sport climb, I'm always taking 15 seconds on a hold. Well, you probably want to train those finger extensors for 15 second increments. And if you're trad climbing, well, I don't know. Forever. Forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, or you're gonna have to do it in the hand jam position. Yeah. So that's interesting. It doesn't relate, or it doesn't like relate directly to reps as you would think of them. No, because we're not going to fatigue. You know, if we're going to fatigue, like you're in the gym and you're you're doing shoulder, like lateral raises with your shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to build up your deltoid muscle and you're doing six repetitions of heavy weight and you're right. fatiguing at that sixth one. Right. Great. You're strength training. Mm-hmm. If you're taking a rubber band and pressing your fingers against it, this is motor coordination training. This is this is just gotcha. training your brain see, to turn is, on. See, the strength screwed me up. You're going to have to change it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> throwing throwing curveballs. Well, wait for the second edition of the book. There's going to be <laughs> in oh, five man. years. Um, but no, yeah. So it's uh, so this this motor coordination or this muscle performance. All we're doing is we're wiring the neurons to the fire the way we want to do it on the wall. Okay. And. Another trick that I have people do is 
when we're trying to train those antagonistic muscles, you can also do it on a rock climbing hold. So if you go up on a hold and or even on a hangboard, if you sink your weight into the, let's say you're on a hangboard, this will be easier. Okay. And you're just on a crimp on the hangboard and you sink your weight into it. So your <clears> finger <throat> flexors are working really hard. Uh-huh. Whoever's listening to this now, next time you're at the gym or if you're at the gym now, you can try it. Try and selectively lift each finger up while you're loading. And maybe, yeah, try that right now. Lock down on that table and then lift your ring finger. Come on, Chris. <laughs> lift. Oh, there you go. You cheated there. You moved your I wrist totally back. cheated. <laughs> you unloaded. So if, if no, whoever's listening now, like we're, we're sitting at the embassy suites in like a, in a hotel room and he's grabbing onto the, the side of a, what is this? I don't know what that is. Some piece like of furniture. A, some piece of furniture crimping down and he actually did pretty good. Was able to selectively lift that ring finger, but it's hard to do. It's and, hard. and so if you think about it, well, it's not that natural. It's a little bit contrived, but that's the way that you can selectively turn on your finger extensors in the most specific position to climbing. Okay. So it doesn't have to be loaded. You don't have to be pulling against the load in that. No, you're not pulling. Position. You're not pulling against the load at all. Okay. You're, you're flexing against the load with your other fingers and now right. you're just selectively lifting. And if you try this, anyone tries this, you can do it on the molding of a door frame and mm-hmm. just go to the top, crimp your fingers around and then just pretend like you're playing piano and slowly right. lift each finger. It is hard to do. Well, you know what's interesting? I was making a video last week of different matching techniques mm-hmm. and a popular and one of the most useful matching techniques is piano matching where you lift a finger, replace it with a finger from the other hand Yeah, and you continue to do that. And I was trying to do it on my 45 degree wall on a small enough hold that I had to do it. And it was so difficult to not only support myself with, you know, a different finger from each hand progressively, but just the coordination to pick the right finger up and then replace it with another finger and then pick a finger up and replace it yeah. with another finger. And it may not, like you're saying, it may not necessarily get be getting your other hand on, onto the hold, but it may just be the, the nature of unloading right. a single finger. Yeah. So I, it's funny you do that. It's cool that you do that as an exercise because I, you know, as a maybe a motor coordination mm-hmm. exercise on the wall. Yeah. Because in the clinic, I do that all the time under, I have these things, gripsters, or basically yeah, yeah. they're like, you know, uh-huh. molded holds um, that you can hook then to a pulley device. Yep. And so I'll have climbers then squat down into a position almost like they're climbing, pull into it, and then basically just independently lift each finger. Yeah. Just just like you're saying now, yep. um, because they're not ready to then do that under a full load. Right. So it's hard. It's um, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. The, my office manager was filming and she was just laughing at me because <laughs> I just kept falling off. That's when you need outtakes. Do you have any outtakes <laughs> for that stuff? I bet I do. I should put them together. Oh, right. yeah. People would love that. Yeah, totally. Cool. So, <clears throat> yeah. So then on the topic of we're on the fingers and strengthening the finger extensors, I think that for me, at least the take home, all right, once you strengthen these finger extensors and you've gone through a timeline of at least eight to 12 weeks, then you got to be strengthening your finger flexors somehow or else mm-hmm. you're going to get disused, you're going to get atrophy and you're not going to load them properly when you climb. Right. And I've been playing around the past four years with different protocols of 
because there's not that much out there on this. Um, Esther Smith, who's a, a physiotherapist, doctor yep. of physiotherapy, she's done an awesome job on, on getting information um, on how to, I think uh, she called it like remodeling the the tendons, mm-hmm. um, how to, her, her protocol is awesome. It's really good. Um, Courage Climbers, I think it's Hang Right article to, to yep. go and go and check that out. Um, but yeah, past four years, I've been playing with this stuff with load testers and, and with, with different climbers and athletes and trying to find the right fit. And, you know, I've developed a program or system with it that works pretty well where it's a little different for the first four weeks than what people are used to. And then it gets you slowly into normally loading the finger. Right. So, so if you think about like when you hang board, what are your hang times normally or what, what do you, I mean, it varies depending on the cycle that I'm in. So it's hard to say whether I'm doing max hangs or minimum edge depth hangs or more like a repeater workout. What's so. the longest <clears throat> you've hung on a hangboard on a crimp? Let's say for a part of like a training cycle. Oh gosh. I would regularly um I would say the longest hangs are ten seconds. Okay. Yeah. So typically yeah, ten seconds is a long hang. Yep. You know, seven second parameters is, you know, yep. kind of getting getting into you know into your repeaters. And basically when this system that I developed for the basically remodeling or the returning to load your finger flexors, I think mm-hmm. is a better or the terminology that, that I that I use for it, is you're doing 30 second hangs. Okay. Do you have any idea why the first four weeks we're doing 30 second hangs? Just bigger holds, so less load on the pulley? Yeah. So the whole goal is, yeah, we're increasing the volume but decreasing the intensity mm-hmm. or increasing the um, duration, decreasing right. the intensity. Right. And so for these hangs, when you're reintroducing trying to hang on uh, to load the finger tendons mm-hmm. and to have them adapt to the stimulus, you want to be able to generate just a little bit of pain just because you're you're going to have to return to climbing. You're going to have to remodel those tissues. Right. And you have to have a little bit of irritation uh, in a sustained controlled environment to then, you know, unleash on the wall. Gotcha. And so, so anyway, I, I don't know if we have, we don't have to go in depth into the, into the protocol. Um, but yeah, yeah. Is, is there a place they can find your protocol online? Well, the, yeah. So the, it's in the book, right? It's in the, it's in the newest version it's of in the, the book. Newest version. So that okay. one will be out um, probably by the time this one airs because we're almost out of books again, um, nice. which is, it is a blessing and a curse. It's a good problem. I mean, the good problem is I keep like tweaking little things as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's that protocol. There's a, a new protocol in there um, in the book for hanging times but it's basically the first four weeks is four sets of 30 seconds and then it goes down to you have your three sets of seven or you have your seven second hangs and and three sets okay cool yeah cool so is there a some sort of like takeaway philosophy or idea that we can also apply to elbows shoulders knees i think the huge takeaway should be that if you pay attention, I, I, I'll put two. And one is okay. because we're talking a lot about strength and the other is just my passion for movement. Mm-hmm. But if you pay attention to your technique and your movement on the wall, you videotape yourself climb and you have someone look at it, a climbing coach, uh, you know, a movement expert, a doctor of physical therapy, anybody. And if you can find patterns that you use on harder routes that you tend to overuse, Yep and you can identify those, then you have a really good chance of preventing those injuries from happening if you can stop them before they start. Right. So for example, if you are really good at crimping. Yeah, and, I think that's the obvious place yeah. to start. I, I get a lot of videos from people who 
as soon as they get on harder things are crimping every hold. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so you see that all the time and you're really good at crimping and you probably don't have to crimp every single hold. You may just have to crimp the crux mm -hmm. and you may want to vary your selection of crimping between yep. a full, a close, a half crimp and, yep. you know, make it situational based. And if you know that, well, you're probably going to develop, if you over crimp a lot, you're going to develop either a pulley injury or flexor tendon strain, or you're going to develop outside elbow pain. Yep. because you have to extend your rest, wrist backwards to crimp. Mm -hmm. So just do the preventative exercises for those. If you love slopers, if you just rock it on slopers, well, you're probably going to develop inside elbow pain. So you'll do preventative exercises for those. So, gotcha. so if you know how you move, and there's so many, I love climbing because coaches are experts on movement. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I can talk to a, a climbing coach <clears> and like, we can both learn, you know, in, in that, in that communication. And there's other sports where I don't think it's, you know, it's the coaches are experts in movements or maybe experts in the mechanics of the, the sport or the technique, right. but not in full body movement. Right. Climbing's climbing's movements are exponentially more than any other sport I've ever been involved in, except for maybe gymnastics. True. <clears throat> yeah. Gymnastics is tricky because it's actually also, it's, it's sustained repetitive movements on the right. same apparatus. Right. Um, I worked with uh, U.S. men's gymnastics at the Olympic mm -hmm. Training Center this past summer, or sorry, yeah, this past summer, um, or in June. And man, like the amount of burns they have on the same exact yeah. apparatus with the same body positions yep. versus climbers. Climbers, I mean, maybe they're on the same problem, but they're doing it differently all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we have less of a chance for injury risk just because of our variety. Sure. Um, but um, but yeah, so what, going back to take home message, I think one is just analyze your movement <clears throat> and either film it, have someone watch it and start to create a, an identity of what moves you use and maybe use some of the drills that you have, right? Yeah. That, that you're developing to then fill in the gaps of movement. Yep. And then the other is the specificity of the exercise is a lot of climbers do an injury prevention exercise just to do it. And they're like, oh, I know that I should be taking a rubber band and flicking it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's awesome. And I see that and I'm like, all right, you get points. Like you get points for like, for taking a step towards injury prevention. But you kind of get bonus points if you do it in a more specific position like we talked about. Okay. And if you then talk about the shoulder, well... I mean, I see climbers a lot of times doing like T's, Y's, and L's, yep. which is really good. So they're getting bonus points for that, but they forget to do strength exercise to strengthen what's serratus anterior, which is like pushing yep. into the ground. Yep. And that's actually the muscle that stops you from winging. You know, right. you go into a push up and you just push. Yep. So yeah, I think a take home would be if you can know your movement, you can be specific with your exercise, you can just do this stuff five minutes a day, <clears throat> you can prevent a lot of injuries from happening. So question for you, just, just based on this, you know, idea of progressively strengthening, um, and not just doing random exercises that you've been told are good antagonist or good injury prevention exercises, something that's become really popular that, that I'm somewhat conflicted about and would love to know your opinion on are things like um, using bands for, um, shoulder work for like internal and external rotation for shoulder work. Um, where do you stand on the effectiveness of that as injury prevention? Um, yeah. 
Well, first, before I answer that, first tell me your your challenges with it. Okay. Um, I liked, like, after I injured my shoulder, I felt like it was really challenging for me coming back. And at that point, it felt like something I should be doing um, mm. because it was difficult for me. And it did create that little bit of pain, you know, as you called it, remodeling tissue, and and it felt effective. And again, I'm going all by feel here. It's yeah, how, 100%. I, how I operate. Yeah. And it felt effective. Now that the shoulder is strong again, it doesn't feel like it's doing much to or as much as if I'm doing overhead presses and heavier exercises and, you know, actually strengthening my shoulder. That totally makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. So what it sounds like is in the initial stages, you're probably weak and yeah, the bands very. allowed you to strengthen because of the load. Right. And now when you use bands, you feel like you're going through the motion and totally. then you grab the, the dumbbells and you're like, oh, now I'm challenging myself. Yeah. So what I'd say with that is I rarely prescribe true strength exercises okay. unless there is a, you know, a, a muscle, like a true deficit in strength that, that mm -hmm. we've been able to tell and go back and forth. I dynamometer each side of the body and okay, there's a difference there. What's the big change that I notice and why I like bands a lot is I use them more for muscle activation. Okay. And so I'll have climbers, let's say, let's say for example, your goal is to turn on the muscles in the back of your shoulder because when you climb, your shoulders round forward and when they're back, they allow you to be more stable. So let's mm -hmm. say that's your goal, right? So before you climb, if you go and take a bunch of dumbbells and you fatigue at six to eight reps right. and then you go climb, uh, you're probably going to have suboptimal movement. The muscles won't be strong because they're fatigued mm -hmm. and that's maybe detrimental to, to what you're doing. Now, if you go and you take bands, you go through the same exact positions you or even light weights, mm -hmm. but something at a low resistance just to preheat the oven or, or turn it on mm -hmm. and activate that muscle prior, not to fatigue, but just enough to turn it on and then go climb. Well, the muscle's not fatigued anymore. It's just woken up and then it allows you to get on the wall. So I, I find more effectiveness if you're doing band exercises, non-fatigue or not to fatigue that just do them right before you climb as part of your warm-up. Gotcha. So something more like, um, like you were just talking about to, you know, doing eyes wise tees, something like that with, with a little bit of weight or a band, um, makes total sense to mm. get that activation happening, to get you ready to move in the right way. You know, similar to like a wall slide, um, with lift off that kind of thing. Um, I feel like that helps me move in the right way. Mm -hmm. But what about the things like the internal external rotation where so, your elbows at your side, yeah. you know, so, and you're just turning your arm. So that was like, uh, <laughs> basically that's a really good exercise. Mm -hmm. If you need to reach a mouse at your computer, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. so, so you're sitting down. No, this is real. This is true. Like you're sitting down and you have an office worker, right? And they have to get to that mouse. And right. They, they, right, they, right. Oh no, I can't reach that mouse. I, they're actually rotating towards it. That's a great exercise. Or it's a good exercise for people that cannot train their rotator cuff in more demanding positions. Right. But if you can do that and you can do three sets of 10 of that, you should probably progress it. And to progress it, to make it climbing specific, 
what do you think you would do with like your your elbow i mean my elbow is never at my side while i'm climbing yeah so you unless would, i'm in an undercling in in a very rare situation yeah so you want to <laughs> advance or progress that so you would do your internal and external rotations which are basically just moving your you know your arm so your shoulder rotates in and out but you would do that with your elbow at the level of your shoulder okay and then the bonus points is well can you squat down a little bit and put some weights weight into your legs as you do that because that's likely how you're going to look when you climb Mm-hmm. And then the even better bonus is can you lock in that position with your arm, let's say, rotated outwards and your elbow at the level of your shoulder and the band facing in front of you, if that paints right, a picture. Right. So you're pulling back on the yeah, band. Yeah, so you're pulling back on the band, you're squatting <clears throat> down, lock that in, and then just bring your arm up and down. Okay. And then now you're turning on the same exact external rotators, you're doing it through a range of motion, and you're doing it in something that mirrors or really specific towards climbing. Mm-hmm. Some people can't do that and it's too much demand. So those are the people that are hopefully, you know, they're doing something lower demand with their elbow at their side until they can get to that level. But if you're climbing on the rock wall and you're climbing at least 510, you should probably be able to get your elbow above your shoulder and, and rotate outwards on, on a band. Sure. So that's, I wrote an article maybe like five years back on like how annoyed I am with these like elbow at your side external right. rotation. Yep. Um, and I've come a little bit full circle back towards them saying it's okay if you're not strong enough to sustain like higher level positions just because right. I see, see a pain population or I see people that have pain and it hurts when they get their elbow up. Mm-hmm. But if it feels fine with your elbow up and you can get into that position, I'm okay with that. And I actually think it's advantageous to do that prior to climbing to, to preheat the, the muscles. Um, I, I don't know if I've told this story on air before. I tell it a lot in my clinics. Um, but I, so I, I work with a lot of different uh, Olympic athletes and Olympic <clears throat> teams. And I was down in, in China. This was uh, two years ago with the Chinese national team and their mm-hmm. Olympic track and field team. And this is probably the top number five, six, eight, and nine, like top long jumpers in the world. Okay. Well, I was working with and and they're on the the track the basically um getting warmed up to to long jump and I I see their coach over there and and prior to this trip I as I mentioned I'm a professor at USC and we have a lot of pretty distinguished faculty and one of our faculty Dr. Chris Powers any research you look up on the knee this his name's likely going to be there and he's done a lot of research for this and what he's shown is when the knee collapses or dives inwards it yep. puts a lot of stress on the knee mm-hmm. and if you strengthen the hip muscles and it pulls the knee into a better alignment. And he has this protocol where you basically take a resistance band, you press against it, you hold it for about 30 seconds to a minute at a sub-maximal level to almost preheat or activate these muscles. Okay. And so I, I go to China and I have this in my head and I see these, these long jump athletes uh, on the track with these bands around their knees before they're about to go through their practice and they're push, pulling out on them and doing these positions. So I go up to the head coach at Randy Huntington, which is this huge guy. Um, he was the the coach of world record holder, Mike Powell. He's like, well-known okay. track. Yep. Um, he goes and I tell him, I'm like so excited. I'm a young guy, right? And and uh, I go up to him, like a big smile on my face. I'm like, yo, you've been looking at all this research from USC. I'm so excited that you're implementing this in your warmups. And he, he goes, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, listen, kid, I've been doing this since the 80s. <laughs> That's before you were born. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I just say that because, you know, this stuff's been around for so long. Right. And even just muscle activation exercises, just 
pressing out against something. It doesn't even have to be a band. You can take your arm and press it against a wall, mm -hmm. right? And just turn mm -hmm. it on at a low level sustained before you do your activity. I mean, that stuff's been around for a long time. It's yeah. just now finally there's starting to be a little bit of research and then it's getting closer and closer to becoming integrated within different sport. Yeah. Quick total aside yeah. here, but how do you feel about things like that? I... I feel like I've seen so often anecdotal evidence come from coaches or athletes who've figured out that something works long before the scientific community understands why it works. Mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely a group of people who will argue till their death that if there's no science backing it, it doesn't work, you know? And I think that's totally wrong. I've, there are, so many examples like you just mentioned. Yeah, it's the, science is 10 to 15 years behind. That's like any research paper you read that was 15 years ago or 10 years ago is probably what's being implemented now. Mm -hmm. Like for example, dynamic warmups. Even eight years ago, I was teaching clinics. No one, not many people knew about dynamic warmups or mm -hmm. much less now. Now I te teach a warmup clinic maybe two people out of 20 don't know what a dynamic warm-up is. Right, right. And so that was something that's been around for 20 years in research, right? So muscle activation is one of those things that's starting to become more popular in research and it'll become more popular in climbing. Like the gymnasts do it all the time. You watch them warm up and they're, right. they're doing all their work before they get onto those things. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it, it's basically if you look at a Venn diagram, there's like three different circles. You have evidence-based practice. So basically mm -hmm. the research. Yep. You have the person that you're working with, whether this is a coach, whether it's a physical therapist, a chiropractor, whatever, mm -hmm. you have their perceptions and then you have your own biases gotcha. and you got to be able to mix <clears throat> all three of those. So for example, like for you, if we set you up on a program where you're doing like TheraBands every day for like an hour <laughs> and the research supported that, wouldn't last yeah, long. the research supported it and I told you, no, like Chris, you got to do that. No, that other circle is not really, you know, not right. really working. Your individual perception biases aren't working. Yep. So in the end, you have to find something that, that really meshes with all those. Mm -hmm. And research is just one third of the picture. Okay, cool. That's a really cool way to look at it. I like that a lot, actually, because I get into these arguments with people pretty consistently. If you want the article, I'll send you, uh, there's actually an article where uh, the American Physical Therapy Association uh, developed this as a practice model. And oh so, yeah, I would love it. Then I okay, can just yeah. forward it to people. Yeah, exactly. You can say, read this. <laughs> this is research based. <laughs> read this and talk to me later. I just realized <laughs> I just tapped on the table, which was like one of the no-nos that like we, that you, can, you, you can about do it before. now. You can bang on the table all you want because we don't have stands. Yeah, so good. a little context too, we're, we're holding mics with our hands yeah. and your biceps are probably getting really developed after all these <laughs> these interviews. Your, your brachioradialis and your biceps. That's my whole plan, Jared. Yeah. Yeah, this I'm is all training. I'm actually fatiguing. My biceps are fatiguing. As, <laughs> I have to like go right hand and left hand as we're, as we're talking. That's hilarious. So, so when we're strengthening, you know, we, we get full range of motion, we strengthen and we're strengthening specifically based on our our movement biases our patterns um and making sure we don't have holes in our in our movement right mm -hmm. once we move on to that next tier of the pyramid which is movement 
How do you define that? When I first saw it, to be totally honest, when I saw the pyramid and movement was at the top of it, I rolled my eyes and was like, oh God, here's, here's another person trying to tell us that we all need to move in a very specific way, you know, and we're all wrong. And <laughs> Adam Alder doesn't know how to move because he's moving all wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's not necessarily your approach. So. No, and I think it, it comes down to there's a few, there's two ways to look at it. There's efficient movement and inefficient movement. Mm -hmm. And then there's movement that can cause specific muscle overload. And there's movement that can cause specific muscle unload. Okay. So, for example, what would be an example, like I'll put it on you, because what would be an example of a efficient versus non-efficient movement pattern that you'd like commonly see with, with climbers? Um, I mean, that's a really tough question because it, it varies so much, but let's, let me, let me then like kind of almost like bias the question. Okay. Uh, let's say they're roof climbing. If they're roof climbing, definitely they shouldn't be, you know, pulled up biceps, super engaged chest as close to the roof as they can be. You know, that's, that's going to be extremely inefficient compared to hanging as much as they can yeah, or straight so armed as much as they can. Exactly. So that's mm. like, and that's, you know, it's, that's a specific one we can like, okay, most of us can agree that a, uh, inefficient movement pattern when you're on a roof is flexing your elbows quite a bit mm -hmm. and letting your butt sag really far from the wall. Yep. Um, an efficient mm. movement pattern is to likely get your, you know, your hips right over your toes and your, your elbows at almost like a very micro bend, but still straight mm -hmm. and your shoulder blades, slightly slightly engaged but i would backtrack and say maybe what's more efficient in that position is not your shoulder blade slightly engaged is actually your shoulder blade slightly disengaged okay because you're using your muscles when your shoulder blades are mm -hmm. slightly engaged and you may totally. burn or run out <clears throat> of steam so that's your efficient versus non-efficient if we take that same pattern and we say from a muscle injury standpoint your most efficient movement pattern of allowing your shoulder blade to sag just a little bit is a little more dangerous is actually a little bit more dangerous exactly mm -hmm. and so it's this constant battle and that's why i wanted to include movement in the book is i'm not saying that every climber has to move in this most optimal way you look at adam andra climb and you're like oh man like he's probably going to get hurt and then you realize he's the <laughs> you know you realize he's the most resilient he has the most right. resilient body out of anyone and you're like how does he do that? Mm -hmm. Those are all efficient movement patterns, but they're probably putting high strain on areas of his body. Right. But he's resilient and he can handle it. Now, if you're a climber and you're having shoulder pain, you may have to say, well, I may have to do a in slightly inefficient movement pattern of sure. engaging my shoulder blades <clears throat> to make my shoulder feel better, you know, mm -hmm. not have that pain that will allow me to be stronger and then I can pull through. Yeah. So it's this constant battle and there's in any sport or in any movement, there's not a right or wrong way. Think about squatting. You mm -hmm. have 25 people squat. A lot of them are going to squat differently. Right. Someone may squat with a wide base and their hips rotate outwards and they'll have a, someone telling them, Oh, keep your knees in and keep your toes forward. Right. But they may have what's called retro... Anatomically, they just can't do it. Yeah, and yeah, they may have what's called retroverted hips, where they're actually their femurs, the head of their femur is rotated slightly in the socket, mm -hmm. where their neutral position is actually with their 
hips rotate out. And those are the same people that are sitting cross-legged with one leg always rotated out, kind of like you're doing now. Yep. Um, this, then, is, this is uncomfortable for oh, me, that's actually. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're shoved in, the, in that position. Um, and those are the same people that have more rotation outwards and inwards. And for them, well, your most uh, efficient movement pattern is going to be legs rotated outwards. Mm-hmm. Although that could put some certain strains on the body. Right. And you're going to have to battle that. So I think when it comes to movement, the goal of what was in the book was to say, listen, we have a finger injury. What are the positions that are going to put the highest amount of stress on that finger injury? We have an outside elbow injury. What are the positions that are going to put the most amount of stress on that? Be aware of that. Monitor it. Don't do those positions all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when you're climbing, your crux move on your on your problem, or if you're climbing hard stuff, just climb. Like just enjoy the body movement, and you don't have to think about it too much. Yeah, I think that's the that's the really important distinction for me is that if I want to practice good movement patterns, great. When I go to perform, that all goes out the window yep. for me, and. And I have to be able to distinguish between practice and performance. You know, I might be going up my project. That doesn't mean it's performance time. And it doesn't mean every burn should be I'm crimping the little hold and I'm, you know, putting my shoulder into this dangerous position. Um, But when it's time to send, maybe I do make that concession and I take that risk and understand the consequences. Um, but I'm not going to do it every single time I go up there and try the move, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the important message we should be sending to climbers. And I think it's disadvantageous to think too much when you're trying to do something hard. Right. And probably, yeah, detrimental to, Mm -hmm. to your performance versus just letting go and doing what your body's comfortable doing. Right. And normally I'll tell climbers when they're focusing on movement patterning to do it as their warm up. Mm-hmm. And that, yep. like the drills that you talk about, all those things, that becomes your warm-up program. You're, yep. you're imprinting that into your brain and then just climb. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what all our drills are. You know, if we want someone, uh, I'll use myself as an example. Because I started as a trad climber, I started as a Red River Endurance climber. I was really slow, sloth-like. You know, it would take me twice the amount of time to climb a pitch as someone else. Um, but I put a lot of value into precision and moving really well and looking good while I climbed, you know, and to me moving dynamically and jumping around didn't look good and -hmm. it was out of control. And I, I put no value on that. Once I started to understand the value of moving dynamically and started to understand that it could still be in control and it looked good, I practiced it a lot and always in my warmups and gradually over time it would get to a little more difficult climbs a little more difficult climbs and it finally got to the point where on my projects i would find myself using momentum even when i didn't need to and then i had to learn to back it down you know but it always starts that movement practice or that you know learning efficient movement whichever it is always has to start at the the very low end yeah, it's, I mean, it helps me or it's nice to hear there's at least between the two of us a consensus mm-hmm. of, no, this is what is recommended at least. Um, it just gives you so much freedom to do what you want when you climb. I think yeah. that's 
part of climbing is just understanding your body, <clears throat> breaking new sequences, learning that stuff. And if you're always so precise about every single component when you're climbing hard stuff, yeah, then I think you lose that. Yep, totally. Totally. And that's, I mean, it's good to hear you acknowledge that when we are performing, some of those good practices go out the window. You know, I think it's that case. I think that's the case with every sport. 100%. Every Olympic gymnast knows that if he's in a Maltese cross, it's dangerous, you know, and he could get injured that way, but he's going to do it for the sake of competing in his sport, you know. So I think we have to understand those risks, understand those consequences, and make our choices, Um, but be able to put into practice good good choices while we're not at that ultimate performance level. Yeah, definitely. Cool. When you're, you said something really interesting to me yesterday about movement that you, when you're doing your consults, mm-hmm. you watch a climber's movement and determine their predispositions for certain injuries. Yeah. That's like the <clears throat> most, the most fun I have is being Sherlock Holmes. Is yeah. I, I like, tough cases i like things where i have to like be like or even like house right where you have to be like all right let me figure this out yeah but you need to be able to do that if you have all the data Mm -hmm. and to have all the data what i need um and this is from my experience or my my training is i need to see how the the person moves in regular movements so for example let's say there's a shoulder injury and their shirt is off or rolled up or see their shoulder blades Mm -hmm. and i watch them reach their arm up overhead and I watch their shoulder blade. I watch the the timing of the movement. I watch the quality of the movement. I watch to see if there's any deviations. Mm-hmm. So that's step one. I get footage of them climbing. I watch when they climb how they reach. Next, I get them on hands and knees on the ground. I watch them almost uh, think of like a plank position mm-hmm. and then you bend your knees. Okay. And I watch them squat back and forth. So basically like their arm is going over their head mm-hmm. while they're in a plank position. Almost kind of like think of like a child's pose, but a little bit more loaded. Like knees not on the ground. Yeah. Child's pose with the knees off the ground okay. type thing. And then they're going into like a tabletop. Right. So like almost that. like a low bear. Are you there, familiar you with low yeah, bear? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so watching that and watching the same movement, right? Uh-huh. And then I put them in a position that they would do on the wall on the ground. So I'll have them do, let's say, like a flag. Uh-huh. And I'll watch them go into that same position. And I'll start to correlate things. So for example, let's say someone has, say someone has left-sided shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. And I watch them do the flag. And they're bringing their right leg out to the side. They're balancing on their left leg and their left hand is out. And I see their leg wobbling. And I say, hmm. Tell me the history, uh, and I do on the other side, there's no wobble. Say, so tell me the history of your of your lower leg. Oh, they've been bouldering for years. They've rolled their ankles six or seven times. Right. Ah, so you have a six or seven times you rolled that left ankle. And when you balance on that left side, your so leg is some going. instability there. Exactly. Your leg's going all over the place. And now your arm is, <clears throat> you know, is, is now unstable. Well, is that why you have your shoulder pain? You know, that's my question. I always ask that. So then I see when they are on the rock wall, you know, I see what, when they do that position, what happens. And then I watch when they're just lifting their arm. Well, when they lift, does their shoulder blade stay flush to the, to the spine or does it, does it wing outwards? And, and maybe there's two things going on. We just need to give them a exercise to strengthen the muscle that keeps their shoulder blade in and give an exercise to stabilize their ankle. 
have them go through that flag position right after they do those exercises mm -hmm. and have them do a warm up on the wall where they do a couple flags at a time right afterwards so the motor program is coordinated and then then they're on their way and so i'm, I'm simplifying a little bit with this because sure, there's sure. probably a hundred movement patterns that we're looking right, at absolutely um but that's the fun part and, and then yeah. you get to kind of link each one of those and we're, we were talking about apps before and and using some of the technology i mean the technology is amazing these days mm -hmm. like what you can do I, I used to have to see this with my eye and then convince people i'd right. have to say hey did you know every time you lift your right. arm up that your shoulder blade is completely off of your spine? Like I swear this is happening. <laughs> and I have to like find like mirrors and like hold like two different mirrors yeah. and stuff. Yep. And now you video it and they're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Now here's the bonus. That's the thing that always helps is we all have movement deficiencies. So that person, let's say that their shoulder blade is winging away from their spine and they lift their arm up in the air and they had pain. How do we know that that's the reason they have their pain? Mm-hmm. So what I'll typically do is I'll, I'll use what's called symptom modification procedures, but I'll go in and I'll use my hands to create the movement that I want. And for, in this case, the shoulder blade. Mm -hmm. So they'll bring their arm up in the air. They'll have their pain. I'll then place my hand against the scapula. So and, it doesn't wing out. Yeah. So it doesn't wing out. I'll stabilize it. They'll bring their arm up. And if their pain is gone, well, that's a slam dunk. Yeah. Right. That's you, you know that, okay, all we have to do is limit their winging. Mm -hmm. And that's from strengthening the serratus anterior muscle and then yep. potentially stretching the pec minor muscle and then check. If you go and you take your, you see that their scapula is not rotating upwards very well, you go in and you rotate their scapula upwards, their pain goes away, we strengthen upward rotators. Upper trapezius, lower trapezius serratus, we stretch the downward rotators levator scapula rhomboids, you know? And this right. is like, people listening don't have to like absorb this on, on their heads sure, because sure. I basically just put those all in the protocol so it's a yep. no-brainer. <laughs> yep. But the background behind that for me is the fun part. Yeah, and that's what I appreciate a lot about your book is it's not a, it's not something I need to constantly be reading. I can just, if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I think this is happening, I can go to your book and say, okay, what do I need to do? you know, and have some sort of idea of where to take things. If it's, if it's a problem, then I'm just sending them to you anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but if it's something that they can use your book to, to work through on their own, or I can help them work through using your book, then I'll, I'll try to do that all I can. And that was really the goal of it is there's a diagram in the front that basically has, all right, here's the areas where you're most likely to have your pain. Right. If you have pain in this area, go to page 224, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever the page is. Yep. And it was that goal to not only have someone self treat and diagnose, but also to have coaches, other medical professional professionals and other people just say, all right, here's a guide to climbing and even non climbers. You don't know how many people complain to me that like I'm in Virginia and I have an excellent physical therapist, but they don't know climbing, you know, and yeah. they're in these yep. geographic areas. <laughs> and I wish that I knew every great physical therapist that's a climber geographically. Right. Um, but the goal of that book was like, no, on yourself and for medical professionals that are great that don't climb, here's some context and then use this to, to build your structure in your program. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really, really valuable resource for that. So cool. well, I'm glad you enjoy it. I appreciate it a ton. And I've pulled it off the shelf more times than I ever thought I would at first, you know, and so it's become super useful for me. I want to make <laughs> it to a picture book because yeah. 
you know, I like, you know how many like research papers I read each week, but other than research papers, I'm not reading other books, you know? Right, and so right. I'm like, you know, I want to, and I mean, I'm listening to audio books and that's like my cop out, but I'm like, mm. I want to make this like visually, someone can just like look at it, you know, and have people other than myself. Like in my first book, it was <clears> myself <throat> with my shirt off, like doing all these different poses. Yep. I'm like, I got to move on from that. <laughs> so people would like people would, I have, my first book. I have recently discontinued it. Um, but uh, I had this like band wrapped all around my body and my shirt right. off. I, I remember those photos. Yeah. It yeah. looks like bondage. And so like, I'd be like, you know, I'd be at random place, like climbing outside and someone would just like go into this pose and just be like laughing. I'd be like, all right, well, at least you're, you're reading some injury prevention content. They're like, Oh, look, the bondage guy. Yeah, exactly. Man. I had the, cre- I did a, clinic in Red Rock Rendezvous maybe like I think it was like four years ago it was the funnest one of the most fun clinics I ever had but it was crazy and all these people were taking all my therabands and stuff and and beating each other with it and <laughs> slapping it was it was kind of got a little bit crazy and that's when I realized okay I'm gonna have to change the cover of this next book <laughs> to make it like a little bit more PC <laughs> oh that's amazing oh that's amazing but you know by the time you've got like edition number six out or whatever yeah we'll have books that just have moving images inside them so you'll just be able to go through the videos will just be in the books yeah or oh wow technology is just gonna get there before we know it or books will be discontinued and they'll be like a dinosaur yeah it'll just pop up in front of your face in the air and be able to pull up whatever information you want at any moment google air google air yeah that's what it'll be I just invented it, so cool. Well, it's it's I set need, on the podcast. I need royalties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Google. <laughs> Google Air. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out in this craziness of what's going on here and sitting down and you know kind of working through the rest of the pyramid with me. And I, I suggest anybody who coaches people, um, if you're prone to any sort of injury which you are if you're rock climbing because everyone I know gets injured in some way shape or form if they're trying hard um, you should pick up the book and I mean it's an amazing resource cool thanks for the the plug on that yeah 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 no, no I'm, I'm I'm really I'm psyched on it it's like I feel that it's my biggest contribution to climbing uh, just because I want to I wanted to take whatever was in my brain and all those hours of work and just try and get it out there. Yeah. I'm glad they are. So thanks, Jared. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I definitely appreciate Jared's total picture view of rehab and prehab. And speaking of prehab, I've seen several people recently on the internet post things like, there's no such thing as prehab. Strength is prehab. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that's contradicting yourself. You just said there's no prehab, and then you said there's prehab. And even the strongest people get hurt, so there must be more to it than just strength. And I think Jared's got a good handle on that, and he's built this system that's really easy to follow. Um, So definitely check out the book, Climb Injury Free. You can find him at theclimbingdoctor.com. There is a link right there in the show notes on your pocket supercomputer for the book. And uh, you can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and the Pinterests at Power Company Climbing. 
You can find Jared on Twitter. You cannot, however, find us on the Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 This time the bitch is